Hey, uh, good morning. My name is Rich, and I uh, get to uh, speak with you again this morning. So really thankful for, uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to be here with you again. Uh, my wife and I, my wife Carol and I, really enjoy hiking. Uh, it's one of our favorite things to do, and uh, we uh, love to take every opportunity that we have to go hiking. Uh, last year, for my 40th birthday, my wife uh, did something really cool. She surprised me. She saved up an entire year uh, and surprised me with a trip to Utah. And uh, the trip was specifically for the purpose uh, of the two of us. It was just for the two of us. And so, uh, so we got, and she did it so we could go hiking. And so we went to Zion National Park. And in Zion National Park, there are just some amazing hikes, amazing hikes. And so it was just so much fun to be able to do that uh, with my wife for, uh, for my 40th birthday. So it was five full days of hiking and enjoying my wife. It was, it was just great. So just had a really good time doing it. Now, one of the hikes that we did took us about five and a half hours, and it was uh, to a place called Angel's Landing. I think a picture of Angel's Landing is going to come up on the screen. We can go ahead and take a look at that picture maybe. There it is. That's Angel's Landing right there. And so you can see that it's not really a mountain. It's really just a, just a big rock. It's a rock formation. And Zion National Park is basically all, that's all that it is, just rock formations. And so that is Angel's Landing. And it's called Angel's Landing because the first settlers that were in that area, when they saw that huge rock, the idea was only an angel could land at the peak of that rock. And so that's why they called it Angel's Landing. Now, uh, as my wife and I were preparing for our trip, we were reading about the different hikes, and this is one of the hikes that you're able to do. And as we were reading about it, everything that we read said that this is a bucket list type of hike. And so we decided that we were going to go ahead and, and, and do this hike. And so we kept on reading about it and just reading more and more about it. And the more we read about it, the more excited we were uh, because it promised amazing views. It promised challenging obstacles. It promised steep, strenuous climbs. And it also promised danger. And what could be better than that? And so as we were, as we were looking at it, and the reason it's dangerous is because uh, several people have literally died died doing this hike. And, and the reason is because, I mean, it's really steep. You know, you're climbing on basically just rock, and there are parts of the hike where you just have like two to maybe three feet of rock underneath of you, and then on either side of you is a 1,400-foot drop-off. And so people have slipped, people have fallen to their deaths, and it, it's just really tragic. Um, and so, of course, we decided to do it. Uh, so, so we were uh, just really excited about it. Now, as we were reading about the hike, um, we began to, you know, obviously get a healthy respect for this hike. But the name Angel's Landing uh, started to mean something to us just as we were reading about it. But after we experienced it, after we actually did the hike, the name Angel's Landing began to mean something totally different. Um, this is a video that, uh, that I came across. This isn't my wife and I hiking, but this is the same hike that we did. And so I just wanted to give you kind of uh, an, uh, a taste of what my wife and I were able to do uh, last year at Angel's Landing. Let's take a look at this video. Red light. Yeah, I'm good. There, there you go. Just a little taste of what my wife and I were able to experience. And let me just tell you, it was awesome. It was incredible. I mean, just, just doing that and just such a rush. And seriously, as I'm watching that, 
the people that put those posts and chains did not get paid enough. Whatever they did, they did not get paid enough for, uh, for doing that. But again, I, I tell you this, that was just a little taste of, of what we were able to go through. But the idea of it is this. When we were reading about Angel's Landing, it meant one thing to us. But when we experienced it, when we actually did the hike, the name uh, Angel's Landing began to mean something completely different to us. After we experienced it, after we hiked it, after we climbed those rocks, after we felt the burn in our legs and the adrenaline pumping through our veins, after walking those narrow paths of just two to three feet of rock and then nothing but 1,400 feet below, realizing that one slip could mean our death. After we experienced all of that, the name Angel's Landing means something totally different to us now. The name carries so much more weight behind it because we actually experienced it. And as we continue our top 10 series this morning, as we continue to look at the Ten Commandments, and specifically we look at commandment number three this morning, what I want you to know is this. The value the name of God has to you is based on the experiences that you've had with him. The value that the name of God has to you is, will be based off of the experiences that you've had with him. If you just show up at church on Sunday and you think that that's what following Jesus is all about, honestly, the name of God is not going to carry that much weight in your life. You may respect it. You may take your hat off when we pray. The name of God may have a little bit of value to you. But until you get to a point in your life where you just don't want to read about God, where you just don't want to hear about God, but when you get to a point in your life when you embrace his way of life, when you embrace his way of life, when you have him set you free from your fears, when you have him set you free from your past, when have him fill you up until you can be filled up no more. When you experience him like that, his name will begin to have so much more meaning in your life. The power and the authority of his name doesn't change regardless of what you think of him. Just so you know that. Regardless of what you think of him, the power and the authority of his name doesn't change. But the value of his name to you is determined by how much you allow him to work in your life. And so we're going to look at, at what that means today by looking at commandment number three, Exodus chapter 20. If you need a Bible, put up your hand and somebody here in the main, or if you're over in the link, somebody in the link will be around to give you a Bible. But Exodus chapter 20, it's the second book of the Old Testament. You'll see Genesis and then you'll see Exodus and we're going to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20 and we're going to look at verse 7. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And uh, once you find it, uh, would you just go ahead and stand up? Because we're going to go ahead and read God's word together and honor his word and honor God as we read it together. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Let's go ahead and read. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Thanks. You can go ahead and have a seat. Now, many of you, many of you will remember that verse in the context of the King James Version of the Bible. And the King James Version of the Bible says this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in... In vain, you guys know that. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, the application of that verse was this. When you lose your temper, don't yell out God's name. That seemed to be the application of the verse. When you lose your temper, don't yell out God's name. And don't yell out his son's name either when you get angry. And so if you get up at night and you get out of bed and you got to use the bathroom and you're walking to the bathroom and it's dark and you're tired and you stub your toe on something and you say, oh my God, you know, that is using the name of the Lord your God in vain. That was often the application. Or if you're working and you're hammering something and, and you, you know, you hit your thumb with the hammer and you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, and you're shaking your, that is taking the name of the Lord your 
God in vain. And, and, and so, uh, and then also, you know, you never ask God to damn anything. You know, that was the application of the verse. And that's often what we would think of it and say, okay, that's it. That's all we don't have to do. Um, now, all of that is true, just so we know that. Let's get that clear today. All of that is true. You don't do that. It's wrong. I'll go as far to say as it's, it's, it's sin to do that because you're not respecting the name of God. You're not honoring the name of God, saying, oh my God, or saying, Jesus Christ, or even what we often see on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, you know, tagging OMG on a status, oh my God, on a status. All of that stuff, I believe, is disrespecting the name of God. So we don't do that. But what I want us to know is this commandment goes a whole lot deeper than just simply not yelling out God's name when we stub our toe. The commandment is a lot deeper than that. The, ver- the NIV version, what we read this morning, the New International Version uh, says it this way. It says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And what that means is this, the implication, you know, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. And so the implication in the Hebrew language of that verse is this, don't say anything that might detract from a true appreciation of God's character. Don't say anything that would detract from a true appreciation of God's character. The Hebrew word for misuse that's actually used there is is a word that carries with it the sense of attaching uselessness or emptiness to something. And so you could almost read the verse this way. The idea would be do not attach uselessness to the name of God or do not attach any form of emptiness to the name of God. The more that you allow God to work and do what only he can do in your life, the more value his name will have to you. And so when you embrace his way of life, when you truly begin to understand who God is, what God does, what God is all about, his name becomes more than just a name. His name becomes, becomes your, your salvation. His name becomes your source of strength. But that doesn't happen just from showing up at church on Sunday and thinking that's what following Jesus is all about. It doesn't come from just hearing about him. The value, the love for his name happens when you embrace his way of life and when you partner with him and his plan for your life. That is where the value of the name comes from to us personally. And so as I was thinking about all this today and just been praying uh, about it all throughout the week and just, just asking God, God, what do you want us to hear? What, what do you want said today about, about this verse? The, the word that just kept on jumping out to me in this verse, and it was almost like, this is just how I saw it in my mind. It was almost like it was just ballooned up. It's, it was the word name. And so I was reading that verse, the word name just ballooned up at me. And so I really felt like God wasn't leading me to to focus on the word misuse. What does it mean to misuse his name? I felt like God was was leading me to, to say, what is his name all about? What does his name mean? How can we focus on what his name is? And so that's the direction that I want to take us today. And so as I was thinking about that again, I was thinking, okay, well, if I'm looking at the name of God, why don't we go to the story in the Bible where God actually gives his name to somebody? Why don't we go to the story of the Bible where, where God introduces himself for the very first time by his name to somebody? And, and ironically enough, God gave his name to the same person he gave the Ten Commandments to. He gave it to a guy named Moses. And so what I want you to do, just turn back a couple chapters in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And uh, we're going to go ahead and, and look at the story behind where God gave his name to somebody for the very first time. He gave it to Moses. And interesting to point out here that Moses at this point doesn't have a relationship with God. Moses at this point doesn't know God. He may have heard of God. He may have heard stories about him, but there's no personal, intimate relationship with God. So at this stage, there's no relationship with God. So this is really Moses' first introduction 
to the God of the universe. And this is just an amazing story. Let's go ahead and look at Exodus chapter 3. Let's start at verse 1. It says this. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, uh, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, of course, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Imagine that. God calling to Moses from within this burning bush. And God says, Moses, Moses. And and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses, as all of us would do, hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites. And, and now... And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm going to stop right there and just uh, talk about it a little bit. God at this point is basically saying to Moses, he's, he's giving Moses his plan. And he's saying, Moses, this is my plan. And just so you know, it's going to happen with or without you. Believe me, I could do this by myself, but I want to use you. God is offering Moses a part in the story. And seriously, just think about that invitation. Think about that invitation. God doesn't need Moses to accomplish anything, but he invites him into the story. And, and church, seriously, think about this. It is amazing to me. It is amazing to me to think about that because when I think about us as a church, it's amazing to think that as a church, we have a mission. But what is really even more amazing to me to think is that God's mission has a church. That just blows me away. Because think about this. We have this God who is unstoppable. We have this God who doesn't need our help for anything. We have this God who created the universe and didn't even break a sweat. He doesn't need our help. But what is awesome to me is that he asks for it. God doesn't need us. But he invites us into the story. That would preach. That's a sermon I wish that I had today, but it's not what we get to talk about today. But that is a sermon we need to talk about sometime because that is a powerful thought that God wants to use you. He invites you into the plan. He invites you into the mission to reach the world for him and to bring honor to him. That is a powerful thing to think about. But anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, Verse 11, verse 11 says this, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Almost immediately after God calls Moses to do something, almost immediately after God invites Moses into the plan, he invites him into the story, almost immediately Moses thinks of all the reasons why he would not be the right person for the job. He thinks of all the reasons why he couldn't do it. He says, who am I? Who am I to do this? There are people out there that are a lot more talented than I am. So he begins to give God all these reasons why he wouldn't be able to do it. And what's really interesting to me is that God does not respond to Moses with a pep talk. God does not respond to Moses by trying to build up his self-esteem. God does not say to Moses, Moses, you're good enough. 
You're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You know, that's not what God said to Moses. God did not even waste a syllable trying to build up Moses' self-esteem. Instead, God does something even better. What does he do? He offers Moses his presence. Because verse 12 says, God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. God is inviting Moses into his plan. And when God invites you into his plan, he typically doesn't do it by asking you to do something you feel pretty confident about. God comforts us, but he's not necessarily a God of comfort. Feeling comfortable and feeling God's comfort are two totally different things. And what's really important for us to realize is this. Courage for the follower of Jesus doesn't come because we believe in ourselves. Courage for the follower of Jesus doesn't come because we believe in our abilities. Courage for the follower of Jesus comes because we believe that God is with us. God is telling Moses, don't worry about who you are. Don't worry about what you can do or what you can't do. Just focus on the fact that I have called you. And if I have called you, I will be with you. I will be with you. Those five words are life-changing if we get them, if we believe them. I will be with you. What I want us to do, I I just want us to say that, but I want us to say it like this. I just want to say, um, God will be with me. That's what I want us to say together. God will be with me. Let's say it together. God will be with me. Let's say it again. God will be with me. Those of you over in the link, I know you're probably not saying it. I have sit over there. And so what I want you to do over in the link, loudly, okay? Loudly say it. Those of us here in the main, let's say it one more time. God will be with me. Those five words are life-changing. And the reason that they're life-changing is this, because God plus anybody else is always the majority. And so if you have God on your side, and as a follower of him, you do, because God promises it. He said, I will be with you. And God plus anybody else is always the majority. But the thing that causes us to stay in the safe zone so often is our fear. Moses' problem is the same problem that men and women have today. We try to give every excuse in the book about why we can't do something. We try to rationalize it. We make excuses. We give reasons that sound logical. But when you pull away the layers of reasons, when you pull away the layers of excuses, it typically comes down to one thing, and that one thing is fear. What if we can't do it? What if we mess up? What if we fail? What if we end up looking bad? What if, what if, what if? What if is always a question that comes out of fear. And if you allow me to ask you a personal question today, at this stage of your life, what are you most afraid of? At this stage of your life, what is the worry that often keeps you up at night? At this stage of your life, what is the thing that causes the most anxiety inside of you? The thing that you feel like you just, you cannot control. What is the thing that creates the most fear in you? What I want you to hear is this. Fears are fillers. Fears are fillers. What I mean by that is that they fill our mind. They fill our heart. They fill our soul. And the enemy fuels our fears because if you're filled with fear, there's no room for the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Satan neither wants you to know who you could be nor what you could do when you allow God to fill your life because a life full of God's power, a life full of God's presence, a life full of God's authority is a terrible threat to the enemy. And I don't know about you, but I have spent way too much time of my life being bullied by him. I have spent way too much time in my life being pushed around by him. I have spent way too much time in my life being threatened by an enemy who has no right to threaten me. 
and I want to push back. I don't know about you, but it is time that we begin to push back. It's time that we start being a threat to him. Imagine every morning when you wake up that the first thing Satan says is, oh no, he's up. Wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine that as soon as your alarm goes off, that the spiritual forces of evil in in the heavenly realms, the forces that we can't see, the forces that we battle every single day, the forces that are trying to distract you this very moment, imagine that the first thing they think when you get up in the morning is, oh no, she's up. That is being a threat to the enemy. And we can do that because the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of love and of power and of self-discipline. The last thing the enemy wants you to know is that. The last thing the enemy wants you to believe is that you have a spirit of love, that you have a spirit of power, and that you have a spirit of self-control. Because if you believe that, then you will become a threat to him. And he doesn't want that. He wants your life to be ineffective. And so what he does is he will feed your mind with fear fillers, with worry, with the what-ifs, to keep you from being filled with God's Holy Spirit. If you're filled with worry and fear, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill your life. And that is just what the enemy wants. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but don't mistake that for never being afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Being afraid is not wrong. But it's important to realize that God has given us the courage to begin to walk through those fears. Hard things do happen. Scary things do happen. And too often, we mistake a spirit-filled life for a carefree life. And that is not the case. Jesus said it himself. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so when those troubling things happen, when those difficult things happen— Don't make the mistake of gazing at your problem when you could be gazing at God. When you gaze at your problem, you're filled with fear. When you gaze at God, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember those five words. God will be with me. Life-changing. God will be with me. Because God plus anybody else is always the majority. Now, what does that mean for us today? How does that apply to us today? What I want us to do is, is bring it to Jesus because the Bible revolves around Jesus. Jesus is the star of the show. He's the star of the story. Everything somehow in the Bible will begin to turn itself toward Jesus. And so this is really cool, uh, just thinking about this. In Matthew chapter 1, when, when the angel appears to Mary, when the angel appears to Joseph and begins to tell the story of how Jesus is going to be born of a virgin, all that kind of stuff, that whole Christmas story. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 1. This is a prophecy, a prophecy that that was fulfilled by by Jesus' birth. It says, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? What does that mean? God with us. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what I think is awesome is if you have Jesus, you have God. God is with us. Jesus means that God is with us. And when you walk with Jesus through the hard times in life, when you walk with him through the good times in life, when you experience what only he can do in your life, his name, the very mention of his name, the name that makes demons tremble becomes the name that calms your soul. The name that breaks the power of the enemy becomes the name that holds your life together. And so whenever all of the different situations come up and we don't know what's going on and we're confused and we don't know what God's purpose is because of a hard time going in our life, when that happens when you're confused and you don't know what God's purpose is, focus on his presence. Because God says, I am with you. And when you fear God, you have no reason to fear anything else. Don't focus on becoming better. Don't focus on becoming stronger. Don't focus on becoming more confident. Focus on the fact that Jesus means God is with us. Focus on his presence instead of your problems doesn't stop there, though. This is where I think it, it, 
this is gaining momentum because it just, to me, it just gets really, um, really cool. Turn, uh, again, Exodus chapter 3, finishing up the story of where God introduces himself to Moses. I'm going to paraphrase verse 13 for you in this story. God invites Moses into the plan. Moses gives the excuses of why he shouldn't do it. God says, Moses, don't worry about what you can or cannot do. I will be with you. And then Moses kind of says this in verse 13. He says, okay, I get it, God. You are with me. But who do I tell the people that you are? Because they're probably not going to believe this whole burning bush thing, you know. (laughs) I'm not even sure I believe this right now, you know. So what is going on? Who do I tell the people that you are? What do I tell them is your name? And as far as we know, this is the first time in all of creation that anyone has ever dared to ask God his name. The very first time that anyone has ever dared to ask God what his name is. But what is really cool is God doesn't hesitate to answer. He gives his name in verse 14 by simply saying this. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. To the Jewish people, remember, Old Testament written by the Jewish people, written in Hebrew, all of that stuff. The Jewish people, God's chosen people. To the Jewish people, when God referred to himself as I am, it's considered to be the most holy name of God. It's a name that is so revered and so holy that they would not even pronounce it for fear of misusing the name. And actually, they would only pronounce that most holy name one time a year. It was pronounced once a year by one person in only one place. The name was so revered that it was, it was spoken by one person, the high priest. One time a year on a day, a special day called the Day of Atonement, which was a day when they would offer a sacrifice for all of the sins of, of, the, of, the, of the Israelites. And it was pronounced in one place in a room in the temple called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a, was a room uh, designated to, for the presence of God. So that name was so revered that they would only mention it one time a year. And any time that you read your Bible and you see the word Lord in your Bible in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the most holy name. That's the name that's used. It's a name that, honestly, we don't even know how to pronounce today. They've, we've, they've lost the pronunciation because it wasn't pronounced. When you read it in Hebrew, the, the, the name is, is spelled with, with just four letters. It's Y-H-W-H, and it's referred to as the sacred tetragrammaton. The sacred tetragrammaton. And the only reason I tell you that is because saying tetragrammaton just makes me sound really smart. And so that's the only reason why I tell you that. But it's referred to that. You know, it's referred to as the sacred tetragrammaton. God's name. The unspeakable name. The I am. What it declares is this. It declares that he is unchanging. It declares that he is constant. It declares that he is never ending. It declares that he is always there. It declares that he is always God. When God said that his name was I am, what he was saying was this. He was saying, I am the center of everything. I am in charge. I am the star of the show. I am the owner of it all. I am holding life together. I am self-sufficient. I am self-existent. I am more than enough. I am God. And just on a side note, God is doing very well today. Thank you. God is doing okay. After an eternity of being God, he shows no signs of letting up. Let me tell you that. He has no dilemmas. He has no shortages. He has no rivals. He has no debts. He has no fears. He has no counselors, no worries, and no needs. He's the owner, not to mention the creator of the universe. God does whatever God wants to do. He has no fear of a hostile takeover. He does not need to watch his back. There is no stopping him. You can't even hope to contain him. He has no equal, no peer, no competition. In other words, He is God. 
That is who God is declaring himself to be. And so, with three simple letters, three simple letters, capital I, capital A, capital M. Three letters, two words, I am. Moses finds out the name of God, but he also discovers something else that is just as important. Moses discovers what his own name is because if God's name is I am, what that means for Moses is his name is I am not. If God's name is I am, Moses' name is I am not. And that's the same for us today. If God's name is I am, our name is I am not. I am not the center of the universe. I am not in charge. I am not the star of the show. I am not the owner of everything. I am not holding life together. I am not God. As you were walking in today, uh, you were given, you know, a bulletin, but with that bulletin, you were also given a name tag. And what I want us to do, just go ahead and take that name tag out. And um, if you've got a pen, we're just going to take a second to write out our name. And so I'd encourage you to write your name, which is, I am not. That's your name. That's my name. Let's not forget it. So go ahead and just on that name tag, write out your name, write out, I am not, because that is your name and that is my name today. And I don't know about you, but whenever I see that name tag, whenever I look at that, whenever I read that, it doesn't really feed my ego. <laughs> um, I honestly look at that, and when I see that, I feel, um, I feel kind of small. And I don't like to feel small, just being honest. I was small in junior high. Junior high was torture for me, you know. I don't believe in purgatory, but if purgatory did exist, it would be junior high. You know, that is kind of how I looked at my years in junior high, you know. And, and so whenever I feel small— Whenever I feel small, it always brings up these, these feelings of inadequacy. It always brings up these feelings of inferiority. It always brings up these feelings of insecurity. And so when I feel that way, my sinful tendency is to try to build myself up, to make myself look better than I am. If human history has proven anything, it's proven that mankind is not on a quest for smallness. Um, Human history is always a reminder that we are out to make a name for ourselves. But the problem with that is this. The problem is that any preoccupation with ourselves will always put us at odds with God. Any attempt to build up our name, any attempt to build up our reputation, any attempt to build up our status is always an attempt to push God from the center and steal some of his glory. And just so you know, Not a good idea. Not a good idea. We will either glorify God or we will glorify ourselves, but we never do both. It will always be one or the other. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 says this. It says, I am the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is my name. The most holy name. I will not give my glory or my praise to idols. And so as I read that verse and I'm thinking about that, the thought that comes to my mind is, is this. I would rather humble myself than be humbled by God. Because a God humbling is not something you want to experience. I would rather humble myself than be humbled by God. But that does not come naturally for us. Desiring someone else's fame above our own does not come naturally. There's something in us that desires to prove to others that we are better than they are. There's something in us that has a desire to prove to others that we are often more important than they are. We like to promote ourselves. That's, it's just, it comes natural for us. And if you ever want to do an experiment, maybe even try to think about it this week. If you're in a conversation with somebody, try to look at how often the conversation always turns back to the other person. So if you're in a conversation and you're talking with them, you know, or whatever it is, or even pay attention to yourself. How often do you bring the conversation back to you? 
so that you begin to talk about yourself instead of listening to, to, to what they're saying. And we do that all the time. I mean, you, all, you know those people who like to one-up all the stories, you know? Those people that, you know, you're telling a story about your will. I had two wisdom teeth pulled out. Oh, yeah? I had three. I had four. Actually, I had five wisdom teeth pulled out. Actually, all of my teeth are wisdom teeth, and I had them pulled out with pliers, you know? And I was eating corn on the cob the next day, nom, 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 you know? And so, like, it's, it's just people that always try to one-up other people. And we do that because we just like to promote ourselves and make ourselves look good. Just a real quick uh, video that kind of points out this. You may know somebody like this. Let's take a look at this video. Yeah, something soft. I'm driving. Parking's an absolute nightmare around here, isn't it? Has reversed into the tiniest of spaces. Still, I managed it. I mean, parking's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> And I should know. Why is that? Are you a doctor? Careful. Not a doctor. I'm a brain surgeon. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, I actually know a joke about this. What's the difference between a doctor and a brain surgeon? One's not exactly brain surgery. The other is brain surgery. <laughs> um, so, uh, what do you guys do? I'm an accountant. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I could do with an accountant. Filling in those tax forms can get really confusing, can't it? Still, it's not exactly brain surgery, is it? I mean, brain surgery, believe me, is very complex. Are you an accountant too? Uh, no, I work for a charity. Oh, that's a very selfless job, isn't it? I really admire you. I don't think I could ever do what you do. I say that because it's emotionally draining, not because it's hard. I mean... It's not exactly brain surgery, is it? <laughs> Which, as a brain surgeon, is what I do. Lionel, here's your drink. Lionel's a brain surgeon, you know. <laughs> yeah, he mentioned it. Oh, Jeff, they keep you late at the Space Centre. As always. Yeah. <laughs> Have you met Lionel? Uh, no, hello, Lionel. So, Jeff, how do you earn a crust? Uh, well, I'm a scientist. I, I work mainly with rockets. It's, it's, um, it's pretty tough work. Um, what do you do? Well, I don't mean to boast, but uh, I'm a brain surgeon. Brain surgery? <laughs> Not exactly rocket science, is it? So you may know people like that, you know, people that are always turning the story back to themselves. You know, and we do that because we like to promote ourselves. We like to promote ourselves. And, and the reason we often promote ourselves is because we haven't realized what our name is. And our name is, I am not. I am not. When someone named I am not tries to live their lives as if their name is I am they are just asking for a God humbling. And that is not something I personally want to experience. I, I would rather humble myself than be humbled by God. But we have to realize that humility is not something we have until humbling ourselves is something that we do. And it's a, a conscious act to live your life like I am not. Now, as we try to, again, turn this back to Jesus and think about Jesus and, and how does it all relate to him. Really cool story uh, about Jesus in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, uh, and I'll just go ahead and just kind of tell you the story, but John chapter 8, starting in verse 48, you know, it's a story where Jesus is in an uh, a argument with the religious leaders of the day, and the religious leaders are attacking Jesus for what he does and what he was doing and, and all the different things like that. And so they're, they're attacking him and just basically calling him crazy, basically calling him demon-possessed. And then, and then they, they, Jesus gets to a point and he, he, and he says, um, your, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those people, they looked forward to my coming. They wanted me here. They knew that I was on my way. They knew that I was coming and they looked forward to it. And then, and then uh, the religious leaders say, now we know that you're crazy because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived thousands of years ago and you're not even 40 years old yet. And, and you're saying that, that you knew them, that they knew you. And so that's kind of the point where we get into the story. And then verse 58, Jesus answers them like this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. 
before Abraham was born, I am. And the next verse says that the people went crazy. They were picking up stones and, and wanted to kill Jesus right there and wanted to just stone him and everything. And the reason for that, you know, is because they went so crazy because at that moment, with that phrase, everyone who heard it knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus referred to himself as the unspeakable name. Jesus referred to himself as the I am, the name that is reserved only for God. So just as God revealed himself to Moses as the self-sufficient, self-existing, completely in control God of the universe, Jesus introduces himself to us in the same way. And that is why, that is why the name of Jesus is so divisive today. Because it's easy to refer to Jesus as a good man. It's easy to refer to him as a good teacher. It's easy to refer to him even as a prophet. But when you refer to Jesus as God, that angers people. That causes division. Why is that? Because, again, history has proven that we like to live like our name is I am. We don't like it when somebody else says it. That's their name. And admitting our need for a savior is an admonition of what our name really is. I am not. Jesus is offensive because he offends our pride. We like to think that, that we can get to heaven without him. But what Jesus offers us is so much greater than anything that we could ever offer ourselves. Because throughout the Gospel of John in the New Testament, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus uses that phrase, he uses that I am phrase on several different occasions to describe himself. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says things like this in John chapter six, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never go hungry. I will satisfy you more than anything else. Jesus says in John chapter eight, I am the light of the world. If you come to me, you'll never walk in darkness. I will light your way. Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me will live even though they die. Meaning when you choose to lower yourself, that's when you truly begin to live. When you choose to take your eyes off of yourself and point them outward to others, that's when you truly begin to live. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If you want to get to God, you, you have to go through me. Jesus says you don't have to earn your way to God. You can get there freely through me. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the vine. Whoever comes to me will bear much fruit. In other words, when you come to Jesus, your life thrives when you're connected with him. And that is why. As I think about the name of Jesus and who Jesus is, that is why you will never, ever on any of my statuses or Twitter or whatever it is, you will never see an OMG after anything I post. You will never hear me say, oh my God. You will never hear me say, Jesus Christ. You will never hear me say that because the name means something to me. We use that name so casually and so flippantly and honestly, it, it just sickens my stomach when I hear somebody so casually speak the name of the God who has completely changed my life. The name that demons bow to, the name that has brought spiritual healing to literally billions of people, the name that bridges the gap between us and God is often the same name that we use when we stub our toe, and it is wrong. We use that name without fear often. And we come so, and we use it so casually. It's okay to come to church casually. It's okay. I love being, coming in shorts and t-shirts and jeans and all that kind of stuff. It's okay to do that. But may we never approach God casually. May we never speak his name casually. May we never attach emptiness in any way to his name. Because you see, nine months before Jesus took on flesh and was born on this earth, the angel Gabriel told Mary in Matthew chapter 1, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And do you realize that there in Matthew chapter 1, that is the first time that our Savior's name was ever spoken. 
That is the first time that his name was ever spoken. And ever since the time that his name was spoken, the name Jesus has become so much more than a name. More than a great teacher. More than a good man. More than than a self-esteem builder. More than a caring friend. More than a purpose for the purposeless. Jesus is a savior of sinners. And he has been our only comfort in life and in death. Our only hope in a hopeless world. The Bible says that we may have life through his name. The Bible says that God has exalted him to the highest place. And gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a name that has no equal in my vocabulary or in your vocabulary. It is the name that I have sung quietly to my children as I place them to bed at night. Jesus loves me. This I know. It's the name that I have lifted up every single prayer of my entire life. It's the name that has meant my salvation because there is no other name given to men whereby we must be saved. It's the name that has saved me from hell and it has saved me from myself. It's the name that has been the most consistent name in my life. In 40 years of my life that have been so up and down, the most consistent word that I have ever spoken is the name Jesus. There will never be a challenge that he cannot empower us to meet. There will never be a need that he cannot fill. There will never be a desire that he cannot exceed. And when you allow him to do what only he can do, his name becomes your very reason for existence. Because you want to honor it with your words and with your life. And so I ask you, what does this name mean to you? If you allow him to do nothing in your life, the name will mean nothing. But when we humble ourselves and realize our name, I am not, that's when we realize who the I am is. And when our life is focused on that, everything begins to fall into place and his name will become all that we need in our lives. God, we come to you right now and God, so many times, even, man, I I just acknowledge my, um, my uh, sin, God. Because so often, I mean, I, I love the fact that we can approach you and, and you say that we can approach you confidently and we can come before you and, and knowing that we have a relationship with Jesus, God, uh, you know, I'm, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, but, or I'm not your daughter, but um, we're your sons, we're your daughters. Um, But God, how often I I just come before you casually. How often we we speak your name casually. and, 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 And God, may we never do that. May we realize, may we understand the power behind your name. May we understand that your name is is our very purpose for existence. May we understand, God, that your name will be all that we ever need. Because it's not just the name, but it's the person behind the name. It's Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in the name that is above every name. The name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.